and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. Today, my incredible guest, Brian Finnerty. He is the founder and CEO of Opportunity Seed Capital. He is the CEO of V1 Sports. He created the Opportunity Seed Foundation to help needy students with pay-to-play sports. Brian, how's it going today, man? It's going great, man. I should have had you as like my in-arena announcer back when I was playing uh, pro soccer. That would have been awesome. Come through the fog machine, the strobe lights. I, would, uh, I think I would do that. If you have any connections, let me know. I think I think I'd be pretty good at it too. Well, I'll tell you what. If you ever roll through Detroit, I I got uh, Little Caesars Arena straight straight entrance. So the Illiches owned our team at the time, and still very very close to the family there, which is awesome. I love the sound of that. But Brian, I'm very excited to talk to you today. We're going to talk a little Michael Jordan. We'll let people kind of we'll tease them, right? That's what we call it in the biz. We call it a tease. So we'll tease them with Michael <laughs> Jordan there. Um, we're here to talk about you know sports, technology, some of the things that you've done. Obviously, you played soccer for a couple of years, played pro, as you already said. So I'm, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about that as well. But the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast, Brian, is why do you love sports so much? Oh man, I, th- that's a whole show, and I'm sure everybody says that. That uh, kind of with the whole sh- that is the whole show, to be totally honest. Yeah, that's, that's you know, the show. I'll, I'll tell you, the, for me, the love of sport is the fact that it is <clears throat> an absolute microcosm of life. Uh, you learn to interact with people. You learn about stress. You learn about failure. Uh, as a goalkeeper, I can tell you many times per game. Uh, you learn how to how to celebrate, and that. That's, I think, in today's day and age, uh, I have twin boys that are 20, and I talk to them as much about how to celebrate as I do about learning from failure because um, there's just so many great things you can take, and sport does that. So to me, anybody that can get involved in sport, and, and I expand sport, you know, as you've probably seen, Michael, to me, whether you're on the robotics team, the marching band, you're doing esports in school, or you're doing anything that you've got to communicate and problem solve and do this, you're playing a sport. So sport isn't limited to football or soccer or basketball. I mean, sport is something that you compete in and do as a team. So, you know, for the love of sport for me is you're in an environment that's already helping you become a better human and you fail a lot at it, which is awesome. So that's that's my love of sport. Yeah, and it's it's important to understand, right, the failure aspect of it, as you said. But I like how you, you, you put the uh... – you made made sure that your sons understand celebrating is important too, right? Like it's cool to be hard on yourself and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's great to be always working, but you have to pat yourself on the back every once in a while. You deserve it. You worked hard. Like, why do we do this if we don't get to celebrate a little bit? Because that's the fun part of life. It's not fun to be down all the time. It's fun to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. And as business owners, I mean, that's, that's, I think a missing, not a, it's not a missing component. There are enough that are doing it today, but I think oftentimes um, as owners, we tend to throw money at a problem or throw money at a celebration instead of really celebrating what we're here for. And most people would tell you, yeah, you know, you got to pay the bills, right? Your, your mortgage company doesn't say, hey, great job this, this month. Don't worry about paying the mortgage payment. Um, but at the same time, as you add up a three, five, 10, 15 year career, wherever you're going to be at a company, you're in it because you love what you do, hopefully, and you're making an impact and, and celebrating that is as, as I've found uh, in my professional career, uh, that's way more important than the dollars and cents. Dollars and cents will always follow when we're celebrating the right stuff. So, yeah, I think it's really important. And how to celebrate is important because uh, I am not a firm believer at all in everybody gets a trophy. So, you know, celebration isn't, hey, great, we hit the numbers, right? Or, hey, that's awesome. We matched our goals against average. 
celebration comes when you do extraordinary work and people embrace that and that becomes part of your culture. So yeah, that's a really important part for me, for sure. I love it. I think it's important. And you brought up the business aspect of it, right? So as, as your, your kind of your definition of sport is if you're working with the team, if you're competing, if you're trying to do something extraordinary, it doesn't have to be completely on the physical side. I mean, that's business too, right? And that's why I always love to talk about the sports and business, the, the intersections, the comparisons, because I think it all does come together, right? You're working with a team in business nine times out of 10, 99 times, nine out of a hundred, right? You're working to try and accomplish something normally that's much bigger than just one person. You're, you're trying to do so many things and especially in the sports technology space, I think it's pretty important. And I'm very excited to get to that. But again, I do want to just touch upon your soccer career. I mean, you played 11 years of professional soccer, as you said before, you were hanging out on somebody else's dime, traveling the world. Like <laughs> that's pretty darn cool, man. Yeah, I can tell you, uh, again, being owned by the Illiches, who own the Red Wings, the Tigers, and Little Caesars, among many other endeavors, uh, you know, pro soccer wasn't up there in terms of the pay. We weren't making millions of dollars a year, but we were making a living. I did not, did not have to subsidize that, so I was very fortunate. But to your point, got to travel the planet and uh, play a game for a living for 11 years. So I'm not, for anybody who says, well, there's a real big gap in your resume, I'd say I probably shouldn't be handing you a resume anyway, because it's about that experience. It's not about what MBA program I went to or what my GPA was in college. So yeah, it was a fantastic experience to be really involved at an ownership level, uh, close to the ownership team. And I learned as much off the field as I did on. I mean, th there was an ownership group there that was truly passionate about winning, <laughs> winning, right? And so I learned a lot about that, and that was great. And you always hear about people, right? Like, um, so it was nice for you because, as you said, you weren't, you, maybe you weren't making millions of dollars, but you were making a living. Like, it, it wasn't difficult. But there are a lot of athletes out there that, I don't want to say they hang on for too long, but they are you only get so your body only holds up for so long and you played 11 years pro right and there's there's many athletes out there that you know three four five years not quite making too many dollars let's call them minor league baseball players like what what can you say for some athlete like that is like hey even though you're not making that much money the life lessons that you're learning the things that you will gain maybe you're not in the boardroom maybe you're not working on a business but you are still learning what are some of those things that you would think again outside of the dollars and cents, the actual intangibles and the and the values that come from being, I'm not going to say a low level, but, you know, a, a non-multi-million dollar making athlete? Yeah, that's a great question because um, I, I'm going to have a firm answer to that that may sound crass to guys in soccer, baseball, hockey, at the any minor leagues um, or any major leagues. It's a X Games type thing where you're, you're sponsor to sponsor. What I would say is uh, you've been given a gift and a talent and an opportunity um, to go play that sport. My guess is, and even if you're in football, which is probably the most demanding, I know each sport will have its cries about which is most demanding. You've got a lot of free time on your hands. You are the asset. So to be crystal clear, the athletes are the asset. I know there's going to be owners that disagree with me, the brand's the asset, but the athletes have to perform. You're in pretty high standing and standard. And if you, if you can uphold the standard of what whatever organization you're at and certainly your personal standards, I think you'd find that outside of that rink, arena, field, wherever you're playing, there are a lot of CEOs, including the one that you're playing for, that would say, come on into the boardroom. I, I got a chance to sit in a deal that I won't give you the dollar amount, but it was a very, very big amount when Little Caesars re-signed with Coca-Cola. I got to sit at that board table. 
my knees were knocking underneath the table during this negotiation and I had no part in it. I just got to be a fly in the room. I learned more in that 90 minutes than I probably would have in nine years at some B school. So the long wind of that is take the opportunity to meet with CEOs, to ask for mentorship, to get involved because you're going to need your next. And I think most guys, if you look at the really successful athletes who are multi, multi-millionaires, pick any sport, not a single one of them is out fishing and laying on some beach somewhere with a Mai Tai when they're not playing their sport. They're involved in some investments. They're mentoring young kids. They're building foundations. They are doing meaningful work regardless of what their bank account is. So no pity party for how much you're not making. The opportunity is right in front of you. You have a, a one in a bazillion chance that most people don't ever get in their life. And that's to be with people who actually want you to be in the boardroom. So yeah, I'm, I'm a very firm believer in the, the guys that cry about the lack of money and lack of opportunity. Are, they're just not trying hard enough. Like, yeah. I know that, again, that sounds crass, but it's no. right in front of you in every spot. I'm telling you. If anyone can say that, it's you because you literally lived it, right? Like I've personally, I've interviewed hundreds of athletes, especially on that, as you were saying, like those X game type, I interviewed so, so, so many Olympic athletes. And the one thing that I've found is they're not really making any money, but they have this incredible opportunity where you're an Olympic athlete. Like even if you don't have a medal, people are still interested in talking to you. Now that time frame might be very small. Even if you're a, a minor league baseball player, right? I'm a minor league baseball player in the Yankees system. Holy crap, you're a Yankee. That's what people heard. They heard the Yankees part, right? So it's yeah. one of those things where if you can take advantage of that time, if you can take advantage of that small amount of time that you have, maybe you're not the best athlete in the world. You're still doing something you love. That's the cool part. You can then network and do so many other things that guards come down. If you're a low-level NFL athlete, shoot, man, you're still an NFL athlete. If you say you work for the NFL, there are so many people that will say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to talk to you just because you're, you're, an, you're an NFL athlete. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with you there. I think that part is very important. I just thought that would be an interesting aside. I'm, I was curious of your um, opinion. Again, you, you literally did it. Uh, so I think that's important. Let's talk to the people that have done it before us, right? So I sure. think it's then really interesting where you then, it's back in 2001, so just a couple years ago now, uh, you founded, started, however you want to talk about it, High Velocity Sports Center. It's in Michigan. It's an absolutely incredible, incredible sports center. I don't remember the numbers, like 220,000 square feet, just some ridiculous number of all these sports and all these opportunities that athletes can come and play in the center. And it's really interesting because I didn't put two and two together, but as you were saying on the pre-show, you... You traveled to so many places and you saw so many centers, you knew what you didn't like and you knew what you did yeah. like, right? Like I learned how to drive by doing everything my mom does or the opposite of everything my mom does. There we go. Shout out mom. I love you. But, you know, it's, it's really interesting of of taking that. What was what was the impetus to say, oh, hey, like I've, I've you know, I know what I like. I know what I don't like. I'm sure there was many other things that you saw that you liked and didn't. Why was it this sports center that you wanted to put your time, energy and effort into? Uh, this is going to be totally corny, right? But it's for the love of sport. If, 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 if there's a business you're going to pick and you truly are passionate about it. And by the way, I've believed my entire life. So I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur, you know, go back to pre-playing days and businesses and all that good stuff. I truly believe that if you do what you love, the money will follow. And so to be true to that sort of mantra, it was I've seen all these facilities and um, if you've interviewed, you know, with all the athletes you've interviewed, a lot of guys get to a city. We're going to play in Milwaukee. We're going to be in Chicago. We're going to be in L.A. You get there on a day. You got the game day, and then you go out the next day. I mean, you're there pretty much two and a half, three days. A lot of guys had packed the Xbox, uh, maybe Atari back then when I was playing. Uh, but, you know, kind of sequester into a hotel and just 
you'd say, Hey, how was, uh, how was Seattle? You know, I don't know. It's a nice, really nice hotel and the arena was great. I would rent a car almost in every city that we'd go to, or I'd stroll around the city and I'd drive to sports facilities. I'd go meet with people. I'm just curious that way. So I always knew that when I'd seen the best of the best, there was a great facility in Edmonton, three really good facilities in um, Seattle. Um, I, I got a chance to see quite a few, <clears throat> two in England, fantastic, that I, I knew I wanted to build that. And I just felt like if that's what I did, the money would follow. And within two years, we were profitable. And 21 years later, we're uh, one of the leaders in the industry. You know, 220,000 square feet isn't the largest. It's certainly large. Um, but we showed that we could do this without just being this sort of turn the lights on, flip on the popcorn, go referee a game, turn the lights off, go home. We're a fully functional sports facility that sees 660,000 door swings a year. Uh, we're making an impact in our community. So whenever I'm in there, I'm smiling like this. I am laughing. I'm driving my staff crazy about what we could do next. It is, it is not a job. I can tell you that 21 years later, it is not a job. So. I'm sure there's a lot that you're working on too. Um, we'll get to some of the technology stuff a little in, in a second with V1, but was it, does the extra, cause again, like I'm sure there are so many different things, as you said, serial entrepreneur, that there were, there were ideas, there were, there were, there were potential businesses that were going through your mind. This one seems to me, you loved it the most because a, you can impact the most people in your community, which I think is important. But B, you also felt like an expert because, again, you were you were seeing so many different places all over the world. You could see what worked. You could see what didn't. You could see why someone did something versus why someone didn't. And I just think that part's really important for people to understand is you you lived it. Again, you lived the lifestyle. You went and saw all these places, and then you found a way to impact your community through sports, which is something that we're all trying to do because we all know sports is huge for communities and not only your community, but then you then went and did that in many other places. You put these facilities together and you help build them and, and you help bring other communities together. I mean, I just think that is just such an awesome way of being able to build a business and being able to impact people through the thing that you love the most. I mean, what what's your favorite part about everything on, on this specifically that you do? Yeah, um, it's the multiply factor, right? I mean, I mean, we've, we've kind of talked about it as a common thread that, that you do what you love and you're passionate about it and, and you bring joy and there's a legacy. But we're doing good. I mean, all those things are great, but you can't be civic if you're not profitable. So we can talk about giving money away. We can talk about impact. But if we're running these things in the ground, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the opposite of fake it until you make it. I did that in my 20s and realized how much freaking stress was in my life trying to pretend I was somebody that I wasn't uh, I'm trying to impart that wisdom on my boys right now make it so you don't have to fake it that way when you have uh, my sports facility is a great example how did we get to 100 million in sports facilities and now the company that I that sports facilities advisory built sold and then I'm still on the board with them they're at three billion dollars worth of facilities the multiplier effect still points back to I'm not just talking about it I didn't just see it on the internet or read a book like i'm living it we're running a facility i understand what it's like to get there at 3 45 a.m on a friday and the last game gets played at 2 15 a.m on saturday night raising twin boys with my you know poor very kind wife trying to make all that happen while we're doing that um, i understand that pressure and so as we're building facilities as much as they're like i would love to have one of these in my community the flip side of that is do you understand what that sacrifice comes with and so whether we're talking sport, right? No one talks about Tuesday practice. They talk about the Saturday game. 
everybody loves coming to my facility in the middle of January in Michigan because we're packed and it's, you know, the energy's there. Come into that place when it's, uh, you know, 85 degrees out in July. And we're really struggling to make sure that we can put youth programming in place and summer camps and during COVID daycare for parents who were stuck trying to work at home, but couldn't take care of schoolwork for kids. And, you know, it's not all glitz and glam. So it was nice to have both sides of that conversation that someone really knew that if I'm saying, I'm going to help you build this, I'm, I'm not just giving you the rosy picture. I'm going to give you the entire picture. And if that's what you sign up for, man, we're, we're with you. I love it. My mom actually worked at a sports facility when I was growing up. So we were constantly, no, it was much much smaller (laughs) than the one you're talking about, but we were there constantly. We'd be there. We'd be in the batting cage. We'd have the, we were friends with all the baseball instructors. So if they like had a cancellation or something, we'd hop in and again, it was much smaller. And then also obviously the arcade that was kind of over in the back was always a blast too. But no, I, I totally understand what you mean. I think, you know, I've definitely, my, my parents lived that life a little bit more. My dad owned a batting cage and kind of a baseball instructional facility for a little while so my family's very familiar with a lot of this stuff and obviously again slightly smaller scale but i think it's still important to understand somebody's got a lot of moving parts Yep, a (laughs) lot of moving parts and then you're dealing with kids and you're dealing with parents it gets very frustrating very quickly but it is definitely something (laughs) just the parents uh, part the kids are always fun (laughs) it's the parents parents, that's that's part two of the show that oh yeah maybe that's like another <laughs> show i think we could do that one so after not after but at sometime after opening up all these facilities and running this incredible facility that you have you went to work for a company called protect cell and i have here i literally have question marks just three question marks next to protect cell <laughs> cellular handset insurance yeah that doesn't sound like something you love uh, I'm kind of uh, curious. Where did that come from? Was this a cash grab? Where, do you need a dollar? What, what, what are we doing, Brian? You seem like you love your job, and now we're selling insurance for my cell phone. What's going on? So th- this was 06, right? We opened up High Velocity in 01, and I would say, you know, you hit profitability in in a couple of years, and then you refine. And my staff would tell you that place runs better without me being there than when it does. And based on my curiosity, one of my good friends who owned about 35 cell phone cell phone stores. Uh, I'm a math guy by nature, so I really do love math and how it works, um, which, you know, filters into every part of my business. And my buddy Rob said, hey, I'm selling the cell phone insurance in my stores and I'm making a killing. So when you talk about cash grab, I start laughing because Rob had a cash grab. And he said, hey, if you don't mind, run the math for me, just double check. So I built an actuarial table for him, all this boring math stuff. And I said, in, in basically 90 days, you're going to be bankrupt. He was selling the insurance and fulfilling it with a brand new iPhone. Uh, or Samsung Galaxy, whatever, literally across the table with no claims, no adjudication, no anything. And as you'd imagine, you got young 18 to 23 year old guys working at cell phone stores. You come in and you're a buddy and you go, Hey, I'm thinking about buying a phone. You go, don't buy one, buy insurance and I'll just give you a phone. Right. So I kind of helped Rob restructure the finances and the the checks and balances uh, through math. You get operations experience. We built some checks and balances into the company flipped it around started with three people. And in six years, it built it to 125 people doing 125 million. We were in uh, oh, 18 countries, uh, you know, some of which are very hard to run insurance through. And uh, as by my nature, I'm a math guy. So I understand the insurance business. And I love building high performing teams that leverages my experience in sport. Rob was the industry expert, having been in the cell phone industry for almost two decades at the time, going back to beepers and pagers and phones being mounted in your car. He took care of that side of life. I really still to this day don't really enjoy that industry, Uh, but I did enjoy growing our team. I was part of every hire up to the 125th person. 
Uh, we were finally acquired by a publicly traded insurance company. I stayed on for two years to make sure our team kind of transitioned into that. We built a transition plan. And uh, <clears throat> Rob left immediately. That Literally the day after we closed, he left. Uh, I was fortunate enough to stick around and um, also learned that I did not want to work for a publicly traded insurance company. So lessons that you get to learn. And uh, it was it was a really positive experience. And financially, it was great, too, which helped us start our foundation, uh, among other things. And affirmed for me that if I'm really going to stay true to who I am, it's to be in that space of sports and tech. Right? I had spent almost eight years with Protexel. For the six that I was building a team, I couldn't have been happier. You know, still working with our group at High Velocity, uh, blending. I, I'm no uh, stranger to hard work for sure. 40 hours doesn't seem like that to me as long as you're having fun. And the last two years of Protexel were not fun. So the no working with a-holes uh, mantra started in 2015 and I have not looked back. <laughs> I, I like the sound of that, right? You have to learn what you shouldn't do, as I said, with my driving skills. 100%. I, I, little, little different, but I think we're on the same page there. So that is really interesting. And again, I think that's important, like, right? Like, maybe there it, you kind of slightly veered off the path but as you said it, it, it comes what you enjoyed about the job was the high performing team was bringing the people together yeah. was the camaraderie was the community aspect of doing that and while that's not quite it's not in the world of sports it's still a a centric a sport centric idea it's something that you learn through sports so it's something that you can can enjoy and then publicly traded companies is not yeah no i totally get where you're coming from there yeah it's not for everybody it is for totally some people uh, yeah, I'm just Teach not zone, one of them. <laughs> Teach his own. That's the only thing that matters here. Um, so I think that's, and then as you said, you, you made a couple dollars, which then allowed you to open up uh, Opportunity Seed Capital, correct? And this is now yep. a sports venture, uh, sports uh, venture fund for sports technology is kind of the way I understood it. And it's, it's really interesting, a lot of the stuff you're doing. Again, I do want to just point out, you created the Opportunity Seed Foundation, which helps needy students with pay to play sports that they can play too, which I think is extremely, extremely important. Again, going back to community, everybody deserves to play sports in some capacity. Like, I don't care how, like somebody, and I think it's great that you guys are doing something like that. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. But where did the idea for a venture fund based around sports technology come from? You said this is what, 2015, 2016-ish? Like where, was this something yeah, so in the back of your mind? Was this something you always wanted to do or... The, the idea uh, came or I'll, the offer came first, I guess. It's uh, it's not really a long story, but so when we first started Protexel, <clears throat> given that it wasn't a passion project of mine, it was more of myself and a buddy, Denise and I, my wife and I, I put a portion of the company into uh, a future foundation. We knew that we always wanted to do a foundation as a couple. We didn't have the means financially. Everything we had done was poured into high velocity and what we were doing. Um, so it was kind of like, yeah, let's just put some money in the foundation. If, if Protexel ever does anything, it's kind of a side gig. That'll be great. Well, you know, six years later, a uh, massive company. And when it sold, that money, as it grew as a percentage, was a pretty large amount, stayed in the foundation. So we knew in the beginning we couldn't touch it. My business partner thought it was crazy. Um, but I got the chance to then, from 2015 into 16, actually run the foundation. So we were seeking out uh, athletes in need, uh, sports organizations, whatever it might be. And at the end of that year, we we're we don't do golf outings or fundraisers. It's all coming out of that foundation. My wife very wisely fired me and said, "You are horrible at running the foundation because <laughs> uh, there's unlike any of your businesses, you don't track where the money's going. You're not looking at impact. I mean, she really uh, all truths, right? And said, "Why don't we call a timeout and let's kind of reformat what the foundation does? Why don't you then go out back into the work world and 
we're doing good financially, take money off of our balance sheet, and let's go invest that into other companies with like-minded individuals. And as those companies grow, if they sell or cash flow positive, we take the money and we put it back in the foundation. So it was like, wow, that I get to go do what I love. We've got our foundation, which we retooled to then go into schools versus the sports organizations, which was a, my wife being an ex-teacher, huge aha moment. So we now support the athletics in school because uh, in, in our county, 20% of our kids uh, are on the free or reduced lunch program. So we knew that if they're not affording lunch at school, they're definitely not affording, again, robotics, arts and crafts, uh, to play the trumpet, to go kick a soccer ball, whatever. So we support it at the school level, which is actually having a much larger impact. And I go out and get to invest in and work with um, partners and companies that want to do great things. And again, the money follows. So the foundation's healthier than it's ever been because those businesses do grow and, and sell and or be, you know throw off cash and it helps to repopulate. So it's, it's a great way to go to work every day. Now, that is one of the more interesting ways to get into a venture fund. I, that, that, how, how often does a venture fund come from a foundation? Usually it's, it's the opposite, right? It's you I have know. this fund, you guys make a bunch of money, you want to do good in the community as you have been your whole life. So we make a foundation. No, we made a foundation. My wife said I wasn't too great at running it. So she made me go figure out how to make more money. And we got to, I think that's just, I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. I've never heard that type of story before. I think that's fantastic. And one of the companies, in this foundation, in this venture fund, I apologize, I'm going to get my, my words a little mixed up here. V1 Sports, it's based around swing technology in baseball and in golf. And this is where the Michael Jordan story is going to come in in a second, everybody. There's our second tease of the show. Um, how how do you find companies? Do companies find you? Is like Do you find them? Like Because that's always very interesting to me, right? Because you can go on angel co right angel.co yeah. i think and you can find a list of companies and hey i like this one i don't you can go to networking events like how do you find the companies that you want to work with as you said like-minded <laughs> individuals that want to improve the world of sports through technology um I, here's what i tell you that I, do, I don't actively search um that's one and i don't i don't open up to hey i've got to see 20 deals a week i don't have a team of people that are ripping through these i have a few guys that work for me and, and mike brown uh predominantly will keep an ear to the track of what's going on. But quite frankly, they start with mentorships. Um, people that I run into, uh, they've been guys, not all athletes, but I'd say mostly that, you know, this kind of thing resonates with them. And they'd say, hey, can I just get an hour of your time and, or whatever, wherever it starts? And I hear their, what they're going through. And uh, V1 was kind of the same way. Chris Hart, who had started and founded the company 26 years ago, um, six years ago was in a spot of like, I want to, I want someone to sit next to me and kind of mentor with me on how to be a better CEO and grow this from just this little golf teaching platform to really reaching out into the consumer market and then into future would be baseball. Um, I spent two years with him and put my money where my mouth was as I was in that journey. And he pretty quickly realized like he didn't want to grow a company from 3 million to 30 million. That's fantastic right better to learn it when you're at that yeah. point than later he's still a shareholder and basically said brian if you can help build an exit plan for me that would be great we built an exit plan for him uh, i took a larger stake in the company ended up working into a ceo role which was a little bit by accident because i only wrote the job description to hire the person and our investment board said why don't you just take the job wink wink for 30 days three and a half years later i'm still here um nice but yeah that's how we usually find the deals just it's it's a communication um it's not an open search we're not looking for a 10 times roi and 
all these crazy metrics. We don't raise funds from outside people. So exactly like the foundation, I don't want to manage somebody else's money and do a 2% plus 20% take back. Um, we just feel better that we're doing it with people that we want to do. Again, the no ales uh, policy. We're, we're not invested with any people that I wouldn't have to my house on Thanksgiving afternoon. So that, that's fun to say. And as my boys would tell you, as my wife would tell you, I wake up every day with a smile on my face. I get to do this, which is fantastic. You know, it's, yes, it's you not easy to. every day. It's hard, but I get to do this. And I get to be with people who are like-minded that want to have an impact, that do believe that capitalism and growth are important. Uh, you know, whether we're working with the Salvation Army, which I spent a lot of time with, uh, SFA, we help them change some thinking that you cannot be civic without being profitable. And profitable just means we have more money in the bank at the end of the year than we started. And let's give it all away. Like, those are great things, right? So yeah. deals start small and they end up in that spot. Uh, they don't all work out. Some have great ideas and crash and burn. Uh, I'm still very good friends with a lot of the guys that I've invested money with that returned zero uh, because I know it wasn't for lack of effort. It wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of a great idea. It could have just been wrong market, wrong timing, um, maybe later. You know, you never know. Oh, things uh, you never know. The world usually comes full circle. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, right? Like if you're not going out and finding these things, if you're not having, like how, what, what do you attribute? It sounds like you're just a force of attraction. It sounds like people want to come to you. <laughs> they have to know, right? Like they have to know, hey, this guy runs a fund, right? It's not, it's not by accident that I ran into you at this coffee shop today, right? So what is yep. it about you? What, what do you feel like personally makes you attract other people in this type of vein that want to do good, that want to create, that want to push again, sports and technology forward? Um, boy, honestly, I think it's a little bit without getting too metaphysical on this. I think it's what you put out is what you get oh, back. Oh, I totally right? agree. Yeah, and no, so, I like that. Um, again, these adages, uh, apologies for the audience here, but having boys that are 20 that are really impressionable, you know, what you put in is what you get out. And, and I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in that. I just feel like um, what I have learned to do at 54 that I didn't know how to do at 25 or 24 or 34 is how to say no. And I think people respect that. Um, we're so afraid, especially as males and as uh, small, medium business owners, whatever we are, that if we say no to somebody, we're letting them down. And in fact, what I found is when I say meet somebody at a coffee shop that needs an investment in their company, when it's not right, and, and that's not right, if it's not right for me, it's not going to be right for them. I say no pretty quick and try to help them into what's next. And th that's the deal. So no one wonders, like, does Brian really like my idea? Or would he be interested? Uh, again, I don't have 15 people crunching the numbers. And I'm trying to figure out, can I skim 10 more percent off? It, it's a gut thing. I think I've been around long enough and have certainly enough gray hair um, that I can say, you know, I don't bat a thousand. But I'm going to say no if I don't believe in it. Doesn't mean I don't think you're going to be successful. Just it isn't what's going to wake me up tomorrow to jump on the phone with you and go, let's solve this. Um, is that magnetic? I, I think so, right? It feels good that um, even people I've said no to are happy to come back two years later and say, man, I raised my fund. Look where we're at. We're crushing it. And they're not putting it in my face. They're like excited that somebody was rooting for them that didn't have to be invested in them. So I just think putting that in is what you get out. And, you know, so far, so good on that path for sure. Yeah, I, I believe in that very much. Uh, high vibration, being honest, being positive, all those types of things I think is very important uh, for people to understand because, again, as you said, just because you said no, it doesn't mean you don't like the idea. It, it doesn't mean you don't think it's a bad idea. It's just, as you said, it's not something that you're going to be able to put your full force behind. If you're only getting half of Brian's force, it's not going to be worth it. 
because then there's right. going to be there's going to be cracks things are going to slip through slip over slip under and it's just not going to work as well so i think it's really interesting and that you have been able to have that type of self-awareness to be able to say you know what nope sorry and as you said you do it quick which probably makes right rip the band-aid off let's let's not yeah. like leave it there for oh let me mull on it for a month no i don't like it no. i'll help you long, in any way i can long maybes are the worst and as i remind uh you know any startups or even guys raising capital for later uh everybody's checkbook looks the same, right? So whether, Michael, you're writing the check or I'm writing the check, if it's only a check, then you and I are just small, tiny banks. But the minute we start activating what networks we have, the people we're connected to, the other businesses that we're aligned with, there's a creative value. And so to that point, if if I'm not excited about it or I'm not the right fit, then I'll bring no creative value. And if all I do is bring a check, I actually think that does someone a disservice because as a business owner, Equity is the most valuable asset. It is the house that you are building. Don't give away two bedrooms of it to somebody who's literally just making your mortgage payment. That's ridiculous in my mind. Pick somebody who's going to help you paint and do the floors and do that's that's the Cook money dinner. you want. For sure. <laughs> you know, that's there's good money. And so yeah, I think the quick no is like to your point. I love the idea. It's just not right for me. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, that's totally okay. It's probably better that way. And I think the the equity aspect and, and some of these things I think will will lead very well into the the Michael Jordan aspect of investing in V1 Sports. So again, it's it's swing technology for baseball and golf. Uh, Michael Jordan has recently announced, I think, his Black Cat Fund. Right? They they invested yep. into V1, so they are partners at this point. And I think Michael Jordan is the perfect example of if you told me he gave you zero dollars, he'd still probably be your number one partner because. His brand brings so much weight. It brings so much opportunity. If you say, hey, we work with Michael Jordan, whose ears don't prick up? Literally around the world, yeah. too. This isn't a United States thing. It's an around the world thing. So what what was that like? Like, how, did, how does, like, so as I said, how do you find the deals to buy these companies or, or help these companies? How does something like that find you? Because, again, going back to that attractiveness, like, what did you do to get to the point where it's like, yeah, Michael Jordan has it on his, you know, his own golf course. So he decided, you know what, let's. Let's invest in this company. How does that doesn't that's not happenstance. That's not coincidence. Something happened there. Uh, yeah, I mean, some people might look at it as being completely lucky, and uh, you know, the old adage. No such thing that, as luck. Uh, you you no got to be at the right place um, for about two years. So right after I took over CEO V one, uh, Darren May, who is uh, MJ's coach down at Grove Twenty Three, and and probably one of the the thought leaders really in the industry about teaching golf itself. We met at a golf show and he started talking to me about this different way of thinking about improvement. And our motto at V1 is improvement starts here. We really believe that, whether that's with a golf pro, whether that's consuming content or just practicing on your own. And so his ideas were really resonating. Fast forward, he says, hey, I'd love to get your technology at, at Down at Grove 23. And just so I've got it for the tour players that are here. So we installed it, uh, no cost to Darren, pressure mats, the, the whole plan. Well, then MJ started using it, seeing some growth. We have a product that also tracks your scores around a golf course. It tracks your shots everywhere called V1 Game. And the more this was getting integrated, how MJ played on Grove 23, obviously he's a competitive dude and likes to win. Refining that, he was Darren was having success with the tour players. Said, hey, man, if at any point in time you're interested in taking an investment, uh, MJ would be really interested. I, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that whether we were raising capital at that time or not, the answer was yes, <clears throat> to your point. Um, and then Ken Wayand, who is the general manager there, 
longstanding board member at Titleist, a, a stalwart in the industry who manages the Grove 23 and is the leader at uh, Black Cat Innovations. The promise was he'd take a seat on the board, so I knew we had a voice. Uh, he spends every day with MJ, works out with MJ, so I knew I would get that voice. And the last part was MJ was really upfront. Going back to this now, he says, you are not going to get my endorsement, nor are you going to get the Jumpman brand. What you will get is me on a limited scale and the people that I'm connected with who are interested. That was very straightforward. And, and it was very great to hear because it wasn't about trying to leverage what had happened at Nike and Jumpman. It was really about MJ saying, look, I hate to lose. I don't support losers. Um, let's do what we can to win. And I want to democratize education. And we're going to start with golf and baseball. But basketball is going to be in there. There are going to be other sports that are going to be in there. Uh, his idea of making education through content, instructors, online, the things that we're already doing at V1, that very much applies to how he, he believes practice should be harder than the game. Well, you can't build a harder practice if you don't know what you're practicing. So for us, it was this perfect storm of, hey, we've been doing this for 26 years and we totally believe the way you believe. Trust us on what we do, not what we say. Because I think a lot of people be like, oh, yeah, I, I think the same way you do, MJ. We've been doing it for over two decades. And as the current CEO, I can tell you, we've just put that on steroids to really amp it up. And he believes in that. So, you know, to your point earlier, having him as a partner, it's fantastic on a lot of levels. Mostly for me, it's the very limited amount of time I get with him and even more so with Darren and Ken, with just guys who are thinking about our company getting better. Like that's way more important than the money and the contacts that they have. Just a bonus. Yeah, I'm sure that network is is pretty nice to tap into. It's incredible. What 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 have they been able to help you out with? Right. It sounds like money. That's always nice. But like, what are some of this maybe specific, not specific general things that you're able to go to them and say, I have this problem. Can you help me with this? Because it seems like you've been you've done so many things. You've been so many places. I'm curious what those problems are that you still run into where you can then go to one of the greatest athletes of all time and say, what do you think about this, Michael Jordan? Um, quite frankly, it's about practice. Um, I would be an absolute idiot if I believed I had, you know, one one millionth of an ounce of the drive, determination, thoughts that MJ has about how he looks at practice. Um he not only spent a career doing, if you look at his business ventures, they're not accidents. They're not somebody writing blank checks. I mean, he is very intentional about what he does. He's a very, very bright person. I'm not sure he always gets credit for that. You know, he gets credit for being a great basketball player and, and how much he likes to wager on a golf course, perhaps. But he's a very, very smart, strategic thinker. And the people he surrounds himself with are the same. So we look at practice because we have game technology and we have sort of in the bay teaching technology. And if we look at what's happening on a baseball field or on a golf course, uh, we believe that's the biggest area of growth because when we can start to learn what happens actually in a game, you can affect change, right? But you've got to know, okay, I did this in the game. Now, how can I go back? So given those guys aren't in the business every day, we can throw ideas at them and they can say, hey, that's stupid. That doesn't work. It wouldn't work for us out here in the real world. But when you're in it every day, you don't you don't always get that perspective because you have this weird vacuum of every idea is great and we hold on to every one of them like they're our firstborn children. And it's great having guys who are actually in the business. They own a golf course. I mean, he's he's in this, right? I mean, his his passion for sport isn't him, you know, laying out by the pool. He's owning and running a golf course right now. He's in the business of sport. That's that's a pretty great uh, litmus test on whatever we're doing on the practice side. 
Yeah, you don't become a billionaire by mistake, right? Like that's not usually not an accident. Uh, he's a smart guy. Uh, he does a lot of a lot of really smart things. How has how ha- what have you seen in the business since they became partners, since they became investors? Maybe not the exact dollars and cents, but what have you seen inside the business? And you can point to saying, "Wow, like this this success is attributed to Michael Jordan and his team." Uh, two things come to mind immediately: the seriousness at which we work. Um, just the level got amped, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess if Michael Jordan's there, you don't want to be like, oh, I didn't work so hard today. I feel like well, you, yeah, you kind of I mean, can't do that, right? Don't don't f it up, right? I mean, that's yeah. To use the sports th- thing, I'm standing in front of the goal, and you've got the ball out in the wing. I'm not saying, hey, Michael, if if you could get a chance when you get your head up, and you know, if you want to beat another defender or two, if you could finally pass me the ball, I'm kind of like wide open in front. I don't know. I'm going to say, effing pass me the ball. I'm I'm wide mm-hmm. open. I'm going to scream at you. Give me the ball. That happens during the competition of the game, and MJ investing in us, it just amped that up. So we're going to get a really good opportunity in the market, and if we don't make something big of this, then we effed it up, right? It wasn't MJ. He had great ideas. He's given us really good counsel, and he brought investors who are legitimately care about our business, not writing blank checks. So the level of, of I think, care and demeanor in our place is raised. That's been one. And the other is just access. So he's created an access for us that if we have an idea that's that's well vetted within two phone calls, he can say, hey, I think it makes sense for you to go talk to insert person here. And we know we're going to get an audience that he is already, he being MJ or Ken have already said, I think this would be a good idea, right? We're not blindly just out there. So it's really, um, it's really vital. And those two things are in this virtual world going to work every day isn't like, you know, 48 people sitting around together. We're virtual, but to have these kind of communications where there's urgency and timing and passion. And, and I guess the third that that would be obvious to that is the hiring process for us. So we've hired probably 10 new people. We're, we're getting some really good candidates when you can say you're going to work for a company that MJ is a significant mm-hmm. owner of, you know, it's not, he doesn't own 2%. He, he's a significant owner and has a vested interest in our company we're going to do big things. You just get better people. So, yep. and you can say in the interview process, like, again, pass me the F and ball. This isn't going to be, I stroke your back. Everybody gets a trophy. This is going to be conflict and work and we're jamming. We're going to celebrate big and we're going to work hard. One out of five people says I'm back for a second interview. Four out of five are like, I, I was kind of looking for 859 to 501. That's not your place here. I'm not saying we work 80 hours a week. But we come at it with some pretty significant passion. So, yeah, it helps. Hey, that's very important. I think that's really interesting. That first part, obviously, the second part is very easy, right? It's access, as we've yeah. been kind of talking about a little bit. Just knowing and having him on that in some capacity is extremely important. But I think it's really interesting by just kind of knowing he's watching. There's that extra level of intensity, that like extra level of amplification that comes with it. And then obviously, as you said, being able to then take that level of amplification into the hiring process, you're not going to be getting those, as you said, people that are only interested in that. Oh, no, I'm totally down to work more than 40 hours a week, but like like 41, right? It's like, no, yeah. actually like, hey, we got to do what we got to do. We're doing some pretty cool stuff here. So I actually want to talk. We, we kind of skipped it. I, I went a little out of order because I thought that segue to Michael Jordan was really good. But the actual technology that you guys are running with, right? So it's swing technology. You kind of alluded to before it's grown, it's evolved over time, but where, where, like what made you say, you know what, 
all golfers have a terrible swing, right? Like it's unless you're on the PGA Tour, your swing probably kind of sucks. How do we help these people? So what was it about, I guess, swing technology that got you again, got you up in the morning with a smile that you said, I want to help solve this problem and help as many people as we can with this? Um, I, I just feel like I'm a bit of a teacher by nature. And so I looked at their technology and said it works for teachers teaching students, but in any sport, golf in particular, because we know all the numbers there, there's only about 15% of the people that take a lesson. And so if you look at that market of 30 million people, 4.5 million on any given in any given year are taking a lesson, that leaves out a, a large majority of the market. Um, that to your point, none of our golf swings are great, mine sucks too. And I'm constantly working on it, but I was just it was one of those like it's it's a problem for me, so I can resonate or I can I can see where this is going. I was out on YouTube. I'm googling stuff. I'm asking buddies. I'm on the fourth tee, trying to get a swing tip from a guy who just piped it down the middle. Like that is the worst <laughs> time to try to do this. That's such um, a perfect example, though. Like who hasn't done that? The group ahead of you, right? Oh man, could you? Yeah. Uh, what did you do there? Could you just explain that? That's awesome. That's really. Fun. And so V1 to me was was a way to say it was great foundation. They had seventy percent market share at the teaching pros. So good business model first. I said I'm a I'm a. I'm a big fan of math, right? So I believe that math has no emotion, it never lies, and it always tells a story. So that serves me well in real estate, as virtued by High Velocity Sports. I also own the building that we're in, in, in Novi, where V1 is. It's a non-emotional thing. And with V1, it was a great, very sound business financially. It just wasn't making a ton of money, and it wasn't losing a ton of money in the best and worst years. I like those kind of business, because that says, and it screams to me, op optimization, right? And so that's really where we came in. Is this is a business that could be optimized by tuning up some technology and really opening doors. And that was my job. I, I've got great people who make sure the operations of the company do happen. And my really sole job today is just to make sure the doors get open. And I'm constantly building relationships and working on places that we can expand. That's how we got into baseball two years ago. Um, just signed a deal with Louisville Slugger, which was huge for us. We're going to be probably in a thousand installations for them, reaching another great market, mostly based in youth. I mean, you can see the smile, right? This is like, I, I don't know. It just felt like the right place. And, um, you know, if we look at where we started six years ago and where we are today, it's already tenfold growth and we're just getting started, which is crazy. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot more opportunity to come, especially, as you said, in, in youth sports, particularly because there's so many kids and they need things to do. They need to get out there. I am curious with the last, oh, I don't know, 20 ish months. Um, some stuff's been going on in the world. And there was a few months there where it was a little <laughs> hectic. It was very, very hectic uh, for a few months there. And a lot of youth sports actually got canceled. A lot of sports yeah. just around the world got canceled. It was an extremely yeah. unfortunate time for someone like myself, where I don't really watch TV, I just watch sports. Um, so I'm kind of curious what, you know, being in the thick of it, seeing that actually happening and, and going down. I like turning negatives into positives because if you can't turn a negative into a positive, you're just not looking hard enough. What did you do? What did V1 do to make sure that, okay, maybe those first few weeks, things were a little weird. But once you knew, okay, we're going to be in this. This isn't a two-week, what was it, slow the curve or whatever BS they're throwing yeah, out right. there. No, no, no. <laughs> it, this is going to be a two-year, three-year thing. What, what did you do upon understanding that to say, we have an opportunity here? There is so much more opportunity for us now than there was before this happened because now people can't get together. Now people can't do this. What did you guys do to make sure you took advantage of this unfortunate situation? Yeah, I mean, it was, you nailed it. We had to turn a, a negative into a positive. We had a company that was 
starting to have a bit of a rise. We're investing all of our time, effort, and energy, including our cash, into growth. And then suddenly, almost everything shuts off. Um, so the immediate move for us was what we're doing right now. You know, in a normal world, um, we may have been in person doing this in your studio. Uh, in today's day and age, we're doing this via the internet, and we're going to have these meetings. The golf pros were in a very tough situation saying, look, I'm used to having 100 students a week, and I have zero. But these people were also staying at home, so they weren't stuck in an office. They had time to swing a golf club at home. So we put it through Zoom, um, Google Meet, uh, uh, FaceTime. We patched in a lot of things to basically let golf pros do lessons with their students just like this. The camera was sitting a little further away. Hey, Brian, I like your swing. Here's what we're going to work on. Let's keep going. And then obviously, you know, things settle down a little bit over the next six, eight weeks right after COVID first started. And golf was a place that was safe. And, uh, you know, the, all boats rose with that tide. And we've really seen a great uptick in that. And I, and I remind the staff that um, the boat is up with the tide. Tides get up and down twice a day. There's a high and a low tide twice a day. This isn't going to stay up forever. And the building of our infrastructure is the most important. So, yes, we've risen. We've done online. We're rebuilding our infrastructure. But our real move in the future is to say, how are we going to support people who, whatever the next situation is, and it might just be a, a chance to not see a pro. How do we help them? And that's then led to more content online, more filtered searches, not needing to leave our ecosystem and just go do a plain Google search. I mean, that that has helped our golf pros, but it's also helped our golf community. Um, and on the same topic, I have to give a quick shout out to my team at High Velocity. So as you mentioned, sports facilities were completely shuttered. Uh, we had no chance to do things virtually or however it might be. Within two weeks, uh, our staff, um, our senior staff, along with support staff who were literally vacillating between staying employed and not, got together and were feeding a thousand families a week out of our sports facilities with uh, food they were collecting. We were literally buying toilet paper and hand sanitizer and anything people needed that we could get our hands on. Uh, our staff at High Velocity made that happen with no ask from the community whatsoever. People were doing drive through and drive by, didn't even have to come in to get stuff. Um, we were taking care of people's kids. We've got a licensed daycare center. So if they got stuck with both parents having to struggle to find how they're going to get daycare now that schools aren't happening, um, our staff at High Velocity turned a very bad thing into a great thing. And we get to serve our community in probably the mo most meaningful way in 20 years that we've been there. And it took something really horrible to happen for us to kind of like, wow, we got a chance to do that. So my hat's off to our staff at High Velocity because they were just incredible thought leaders, uh, selfless thought leaders of how to get this, like, let's go, let's go right now. And again, there's that, like, come on, uh, part of our culture that, you know, there's a common thread there in the things that, that I'm involved with. And our staff at High Velocity was just fantastic. That is absolutely incredible. Shout out to them uh, for doing yeah. that. As you said, quickly turn it around, feeding that many people, doing that many things. That is that's another episode in itself, I think. That's pretty important. But shout out, <laughs> shout out to them for what they did. I think that's pretty yeah. cool. And, Shameless and, and, plug. Sorry. Yeah, please. No, that's that that's that is what we're here to do, man. That's why we love this thing. Um but I do think it's it's really interesting, right? Golf was one of the first things back shut down quickly. Then I think in April, if I'm not mistaken, was when the first yeah. tournament came back and people are like, Well, okay, I mean, you're allowed to be outside, be in small groups. Like, 
okay, we can go golf. Um, now there was this time in Arizona where they didn't shut down and it was absolutely wild. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but that was pretty cool. But really just kind of, <laughs> um, it, it was, it was really, really, uh, it was great to see that. And as you said, I mean, that probably brought a lot of eyeballs, right? Like it's the only sport going on right now. I would get up and watch golf every, you know, Thursday through Sunday because it was the only sport that I could watch. So I got much more into golf. I know a lot of the golfers now. I, not the mo- I'm not the biggest golf buff, and I'm not gonna lie, football's on, so I'm still watching football. But during the once football's over, I'll I'll turn on a golf match. I'll hang out with my father-in-law. We'll fall asleep on the couch together watching golf. I think that's kind of nice, right? That's pretty important. So I think it's you know being able to take advantage of the situation as as it seems like you guys did, and now coming out of it, right? There was that little dip, and now you're coming out of it, and now oh hey, on the way up, we caught Michael Jordan too, which is pretty cool, and doing some fun things like that. Uh, Brian, I think. Uh, you guys, you guys have a lot of cool things. Anything, anything in store that you can tell us? Maybe some cool stuff coming up or uh, things to pay attention Ooh, to. Should I be on the lookout? You got a time frame for me? Yeah, end of April will be our first time frame. So we've got a, a rewrite of two of our four technologies, which would be pretty meaningful. One for the industry, one for the consumer. Uh, that'll be very meaningful. And middle to end of the summer, my dev team is going to, you know, kill me. Um, but middle to the end of the summer, we're going to be talking about a personal launch monitor that will work in both golf and then soon to be for baseball. And we're very, very close to an AI solution that will be able to map your body without you putting any markers on whatsoever. So you can literally make a golf swing, a baseball swing, kick a soccer ball, shoot a hockey puck, and your full three-dimensional avatar will be available to you or to your instructor that then can inform, like any of us, most of us are visual learners or to some part get a a bit of our learning from actually seeing what's happening. But when you show me my golf swing, you know, I've been around a long time and I still miss all the parts. But if you could take an avatar and then say, hey, the minute your hands move that direction over the top, we already know that's a fault. That's a bit of a game changer. So that's that's a really interesting and important part for us coming up. Yeah, good luck, dev team, with that. Uh, I've worked with dev yeah. teams before, so I'm sure. Yeah, they're they're super happy that you just told everybody that. Yeah, those no. those hands are getting close to my throat right there. <laughs> well, that's why you run the business, man. You're doing something right, Ryan. This has been absolutely fantastic. Your your whole story, everything you've done, uh, the masterclass on business that we got here. I uh, I sincerely appreciate it, Brian Finnerty, CEO and founder of Opportunity Seed Capital created the Opportunity Seed Foundation, uh, CEO of V1 Sports, partner of Michael Jordan. I think that's a pretty cool way to end it. Brian, sincerely appreciate your time today. Uh, Thank you, Michael. It's been a treat. Appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to like, subscribe, and do all the things you're supposed to do. Bye.